Hi, and welcome to the Church Unlimited podcast. Church Unlimited is a vibrant Bible-based church in North Lakes, Queensland that is passionate about helping people discover the genuine love of Jesus. If you're currently looking for a new home church, we'd love for you to join us for Sunday worship from 4pm at North Lakes State College on the corner of Discovery Drive and Joiner Circuit. We hope you enjoy this great message from our Sunday service and come for a visit someday soon. So this afternoon, we're continuing our series uh, called Christ Follower. So I love where Jesus uh, says uh, to a few fishermen, uh, Peter, James and John, he says, come follow me and I will make you fishers of men. But I just love that concept of come follow me and I will make you. Jesus is saying if, if you're a follower of him, if you're going to pursue him and follow him, he will make you into everything that he's called you to be. And so we've been talking about what was some of the, the key elements of this over the last couple of weeks. Pastor James talked about my relationship with Jesus and my identity, that when we're followers of Jesus, when we're Christ followers, he shapes our identity. Uh, identity is such a huge thing in, in, in our lives. It's such a huge thing in society that people struggle with. But when we can get a hold of who Christ has made us to be and who he's called us to be, it, 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 it's transforming when you know your identity. Uh, and last week he talked about my Bible and the importance of understanding um, how the Bible was written, how we can um, get into it every day and apply it to our lives. And today we're going to talk about my church. My church, being a Christ follower, what, 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 who, what is the church and, and the importance of church in our lives? And so for me, I've got a few analogies I'm going to use this afternoon. So forgive me if I jump across and back and forth to a whole lot of them, but I think they're good. So hopefully they, they help you. But um, when I, I think about church, church is a lot like family. Churches are a lot like family. Uh, I know with my family, I love my family dearly. Uh, my family's amazing. We're also a bit crazy at times. Um, when I think about my parents and my uh, two brothers, I'm one of three boys growing up. Um, this time, I, I love my family dearly, but there's also times that my family drive me crazy all at the same time. But no matter how crazy they drive me, they're family, and so I love them. Uh, my mum is, is amazing. She comes down and, and looks after Harry a lot for me, and uh, she'll cook whenever she's down, which is mostly a, a blessing. Um, I would say this in front of my mum, by the way. My mum hates cooking. <clears throat> um, but she'll cook for me. She does. But my mum occasionally does little things that drive me crazy. We're, Harry and I are going to Melbourne uh, tomorrow for uh, a few days this week uh, for a getaway with my brother and his wife and three kids, and, uh, which could be a little bit crazy in itself. But mum texted me the other day. Michael, just in case you don't know, it's going to be cold in Melbourne next week. Make sure you've got a warm jacket for Harry. And I'm like, it's going to be cold in Melbourne. Mum's gotten used to the fact if she sends me a message like that, there's a high degree of chance of of sarcasm uh, in return. And and I wrote back, thanks, Mum. We'll be sure to pack the boardies and the pluggers. And uh, when my mum comes down, she rearranges my kitchen every time and I'm not you know too fanatical about my kitchen but there's tea towels here there and everywhere and she'll start an open food scrap container and every time she leaves I get rid of it but it comes back the next time she's there again and my mum is like the family safety inspector you know she's like everything that we're going to do if she hears about it and and so we sort of as growing up we would tell mum after the after the fact of things happening because oh you can't do that it's not safe like we did do it and it was fine um (laughs) And so my mum can drive me crazy, but she's, she's my mum. I love her dearly. She, she's the best. She would do anything for me. She's, one of the, she's probably the most integrous person I know. 
My dad, my dad is awesome. Uh, my dad's been the biggest spiritual influence in my life. He knows his word so well. He loves Jesus. I mean, you want someone to pray over you, you get my dad. Um, <clears throat> my dad is the, the biggest talker you'll ever meet in the world. And sometimes it drives me nuts because I'm trying to talk to dad. And dad just, dad wants to tell me the same story again. And he forgets that he's told me. And he's told me this story 45 times. He's like, dad, I've heard that story before. Can you just listen to what I want to say? And so there's times when it's, and he can drive me nuts like that. But he's the best dad. And if I would want anyone praying over me, it would be my dad. And if anything's ever broken, he can fix anything. I don't know how. He just knows how to fix everything under the sun. My brother Andy doesn't drive me mad much. Um, we get along pretty well. Um, we never really fought as kids, but um, he and I are the ones that can have deep conversations with each other. Uh, we can get into that. Whereas my younger brother, Shane... Um, I've never had a deep conversation with my younger brother Shane in my lifetime. We just—he's a ball of fun. We have a great time together, but he has a, a terribly annoying habit, and he knows this, and we tell him this all the time of being late. My younger brother Shane is late to everything. If we're having a family event um, at two o'clock, he will be there at three thirty. Um, that, that's that's sort of his his turn up time, and we just. I'm like, Shane, we said two o'clock. So now I tell him an hour earlier than whenever we want to meet. As if, And he, he drives me nuts with it sometimes. And he's like, oh, well, we've got three kids. And I'm like, buddy, when, when you didn't have three kids, you were late to everything anyway. And then, then you'd be upset at me for leaving early to go and put Harry to bed or something. And it's like, he drives me mad, but I love him. He's the most fun to be with. He is a guy that I just, because he's family, so... I love my family. They're crazy at times. And I can say those things about them. You can't because they're my family. But I can say because they're my family. And I've got extended family who are pretty crazy as well. But we're the key family and we're weird and crazy, but we love each other and I'm loyal to them 110% because they are my family. I belong to them. And they belong to me. And I love the church. Church is like family. The church... I love dearly. <clears throat> the church can drive me crazy sometimes because occasionally we do dumb stuff. I get really angry when we get tarred with the same brush because of things that a, a small group of people have done or I get annoyed when we fight each other over dumb stuff like kids in the back seat, you know, drawing the line and you can't cross my line and I, I get annoyed when that sort of stuff happens and sometimes I wish Jesus would stop the car and just give us a bit of a whack and, you know, like, come on, get it, get it together. <clears throat> Guys, I'm, I'm heartbroken when we miss the mark. And, and treat people poorly. I'm frustrated when we get off track and forget about the main event and we get onto all these little weird tangents and forget about the main event with mission. But I love the church dearly because we're a whole bunch of interesting people who've come together and when we get it right, it is so, so beautiful. You know, we as the church, way back before any of us were here, started hospitals and universities and caring for the poor and marginalised has always been one of our strengths. When we speak with his voice about his great love for the world and we see the broken restored and the, the lame healed and the blind seeing and the oppressed delivered and salvation coming to all walks of people to life, when, when this is happening, it is a sight to behold. <clears throat> I love it when we help the, the lonely person make friends or the lost and wandering person find direction in their life or the forgotten person who finds a home in the church when, when gifts are released and, and joy is found. 
I love it when we worship together because the, the sound of the church worshiping Jesus is a sound like no other. I love it when we're united together and his spirit is poured out uh, upon us and there's incredible power to see miracles happen in people's lives. See, I love the church because we're not a building and we're not just a club or a gathering of like-minded people. We're not gathered around an interest or a hobby. We are the church founded by the Son of the living God, Jesus. We are his body and he is our head. We are his bride and he is our groom. We are a living temple made up of people, sometimes odd people, me included, different people, not necessarily the ones that you would choose or I would choose if I was founding and starting the church, but Jesus knows better than I and he brings us together. And when we come together, it's something truly special. We are his church. He is building us and the gates of hell will not prevail against us. You know, in my life, before I get into some scripture and my points in my life, church has been such a significant part of my life. You know, when I was a, a child, I remember growing up in church. I remember sitting under the pews at different times. And, you know, if I was being too noisy, a little clip over the years to be quiet in church. And, but I remember um, a church up on the Sunshine, Budrum Mountain, Mountain Assembly in the, the late 80s and early 90s. And I remember going to the Royal Rangers program there. If you've never heard of Royal Rangers, I'll tell you about it another day when I've got about an hour full of stories and weird and wonderful things that happened there. But I went to Royal Rangers, but at Royal Rangers, my faith came alive. I remember being 11 years old at Royal Rangers camp and, and, and we're having worship and, and, and during this time of worship, God, God spoke to me so clearly that one day I would be a preacher and, 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 and put this in my heart that that church did so much for me. I remember being a teenager backslidden and away from God and finishing high school and, and, and desperately wanting to come back and follow Jesus but feeling like if I start following Jesus, I might not have any friends Anymore, And I remember the church that I went, came to, came back to, and, 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 and they embraced me and welcomed me in, and, and they, they made me feel at home and loved. And I'm like, as soon as I had that, I'm like, I'm following Jesus. Like, it was just, it was the little thing that I needed just to get me to the point of like, yeah, I'm doing this again. When I was in my 20s, I was part of this church and I started serving as a young adult and, and serving in the youth ministry. And before I knew it, I was the youth pastor at about the age of 20. And, and, and I was so grateful to have the backing of leadership in a church who said, we believe there's a gift and call upon your life. You might not have everything sorted and all together, but we're going to back you. And, and, and to be part of a youth ministry that reached young people and see them come to Christ, it, it changed my life. A few years ago, going through one of the roughest times of my life, I was part of another church that just where, where some of the, the people just embraced me and loved me through my season where I needed it so badly. And then here we are. I've been here a part of Church Unlimited for the last year and a half now, and I've never been part of a church like this ever before. I've never experienced community like this. I, I love all the churches I I've had been a part of previously, but I've the community here, I love our church. We're a part of something special. And for me, it's reignited my passion for ministry. The church is incredible. I don't know what your experience with church is. I don't know if it's been amazing like me. And Jeremy, I paint a nice picture there, but there's been plenty of hurdles along the way. There's been plenty of times along the way where I'm like, church, and you know, what are we doing? And all of this sort of stuff. And I, But I stuck with it because a conviction is I am part of the church. I'm part of his church and I'm not going anywhere no matter what goes on or happens and, and I don't know what your experience has been but I pray that out of today 
going to share some revelations about the church. And I pray that out of today, whether you're already there and fully in love, I, I pray that your passion for the church would be even greater. Maybe you'll be like, oh, I haven't been sure about church or you know, I've been hurt in the past. I pray that you'll fall back in love with the church again. Maybe you're here for the first time today in church and you're like, no idea what to expect and this certainly wasn't what I expected. I, I pray that you feel at home. Yeah. I pray that you feel welcome. Maybe you've been, it's, it's, tonight's the first time you've been in church for many, many years. Pray you'd feel like you're home again, that you belong, because it's Jesus' church, and it's amazing. And so I want to share out of Scripture with you uh, this afternoon five important revelations about the church. The first one is this. The church is nothing without Christ. The church, without Christ, we're we're a club of people getting together to sing some songs. Um, The church is nothing without Christ. I want to read Matthew chapter 16. Excuse me, and starting with verse 13 to you. Is it? <coughs> Sorry. It says, When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, Elijah and still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked? Who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven." You know, know, many of you would know this statement of Jesus saying, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Uh, This passage here, he's bringing his disciples and they're going into this region called Caesarea Philippi, which is a place where they worship so many other gods. And in fact, there was even this, this massive wall there, like this massive rock face, cliff face, that had inscriptions to all these other gods. And I don't know if Jesus was standing right in front of it, but I like to imagine that he was when he said, who do people say that I am? And the backdrop is this place of, of, of all these other gods and, and go and listen to a Shane Willard message. He will well and truly describe how horrific this place was and he'll do it much better than I was. But there's this backdrop there of, of all these other gods and he says, who do, who do men say that I am? And the disciples have all got an answer for that. They're like a, you know, a year three kid in the classroom who's like, what? no, 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 pick me, pick me. And they're like, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, some say Jeremiah. And, and Jesus says, who do you say that I am? Because really, that's what matters most, yeah. is what, what do you believe about who Jesus is? He says, who do you say that I am? And, and, and Peter answers and he says, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. He got it right. And and, and Jesus says to him, blessed are you, this wasn't revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not overcome it or prevail against it. He's not saying he, Peter was a key part of the church, the early church, but the rock that Jesus is talking about the church being built on wasn't Peter. The rock was the revelation of Jesus that Peter had. That was the rock that the church was built on. This revelation that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, that that is the foundation. Jesus is the rock. He's the starting point for everything that the church is is built upon. And Peter got it and and Jesus like, yes, because that's what the church is built on, is the revelation of who Jesus is. Without that, we're just a club. We're a nice club, 
nice group of people. We're going to have great soup tonight, and I love all of that. But Jesus is the foundation of it all. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19, he, he says, uh, Paul says, Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household, built on the foundation of the prophets with, Jesus, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. He paints this picture of, of the church being a temple and that the, the apostles there were, were, were part of the foundation, no, no doubt. But the chief cornerstone, the most important one, was Jesus Christ. Paul saying, don't forget, he's writing this letter to the church. He's like, don't forget that the, the, the key, the foundation is Jesus in Ephesians 4.15, Jesus is described as the head of the church and we as the body. In Revelation 19 and Ephesians 5, there's the wedding analogy of Jesus being the groom and, and we being the bride. Just quite simply, there is no church without Jesus. He must be center to all that we do. It is his church and he will build it. But the good news is he wants you and I to be part of it. We are his body, we are his bride, we are the temple of living stones that he talks about. But without Jesus, we don't have a church. I, I had to start there because the rest doesn't matter without that. That is the foundation of the church. The second revelation doesn't sound amazing when I say it out loud, but it's really important. It's that the church has structure and leadership. The church has structure and leadership. That same verse in Ephesians 2.19, it talks about the apostles and the prophets being part of the foundation that the church is built upon, that there is leadership in the church. Jesus was the chief cornerstone, but the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. And then he goes on to say in, in the last part there, he says, and in him you too being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by spirit, speaking to the Ephesian church, that there is leadership and structure and that the real key verse for this is Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 7 uh, through to 16 it says but to each one of us grace has been given as Christ apportioned it this is why it says when he ascended on high he led captive cap captives in his train and gave gifts to men what does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions he who ascended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to uh, filled the whole universe. It says, and then it, this is the key part. It says, it was he who gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. It goes on to say, then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here by and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we'll grow up, or we'll in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ. From the whole body, from him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its works. It's really important to understand when it comes to the church that every one of us has a part and we've all been given gifts to play, no doubt. And we'll talk about that in a moment. But Jesus actually gave these, they're called the ascension gifts or the fivefold ministry. If he gave this as a part of the structure and the leadership and the way he wanted to establish his church, that he would, he would gift some to be apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers. And, and, and 
Sometimes in church history, we've got that a bit wrong in that we think that those are the, the professional clergy who are, who are paid to do all the work. And that, that's actually not what Jesus is establishing here because he, he goes on to say that they were, were given those gifts to equip the rest of the body together to do the work of the ministry. That the church is at its best when it has those leaders in, in, in those giftings equipping the rest of the church to do the ministry. That's actually the way that he has set it up. That's actually the way that Jesus has established his church. Uh, and Pastor James and Paula, their, their, their chief ministry in our church as, as the leadership is, is equipping the rest of us so that we get to do it together and we're most effective in doing it. it it's not their job to do it all. I mean, I, I think for most of us in this church, we get that because you see so many people involved and so many people serving and so many people putting their hand up and saying, I'll be equipped and I'll, I'll learn and I'll grow. and I'll. That's the way Jesus set it up because then we're most effective together. In my role with Compassion, I, for those of you who don't know, I work with Compassion and I get to visit a lot of different churches and I meet some pastors and I'm like, it's like they're carrying the whole thing on their back by themselves and it's like, and, and, and what they really want to do is, is what it says in scripture is, is equip the saints, but they're just they're walking along with the biggest load on their shoulders and they're, they're, they're almost like, you know, drowning under it or, or, you know, they're buckling under the weight and the pressure and they're just like, I, I just want, I just want team. I just want people to come with me. I just want to be able to equip them. Because that's the way it's designed to be. In Acts chapter 6, the early church, I, I, it would have been fun to be there in the early church. It would have been crazy. Uh, there would have been all sorts of things going on and happening. And in, in Acts chapter 6, it's come to their attention that there was too much for the apostles to do themselves. They were trying to do it all and they, 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 were, they were burdened by it all. And, and, and they got to the point of like, in fact, it, it, it's getting so bad that we've been neglecting Widows, and we're neglecting looking after the vulnerable, like we're meant to be doing as a whole church, and like we've we've missed that, and so like we've got to set up leaders, and so they 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 found some people, and and they didn't just sort of found any, they found people full of the Holy Spirit, and said, we want you to oversee this work, so we can continue to do what God has called us to do, and so they they found seven. Uh, guys there in Acts chapter 7 to oversee the work of looking after the, the widows and distributing the food to people and, and doing all these things and, and, and they did and Stephen was one of them. He became the first martyr just a, a couple of chapters later in, in, in the book of Acts for, for preaching the gospel but there's the need for leadership and there's the need for structure. A church is more than just when a couple of us get together. We are part of the church always and there's power in meeting together but the church is actually has leadership and has structure um, and we're so blessed to have great pastors uh, in, in, in James and Paula leading us and, and there'll be others that have um, and, and, and use that fivefold ministry gift in our church and it's so that everyone is equipped so that we do it together and I'll talk about this more as we go on. The third revelation here is that maturity comes from being part of the church. Back in that same passage in Ephesians, we'll pick it up where it says, to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. It says that we'll no longer be infants tossed back and forth by waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will all, in all things, grow up 
into him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body joined together and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Maturing in Christ and in your walk with Christ cannot happen in isolation. It actually happens when we're part of the church. It says here, each of us doing works of service builds up the body of Christ. It talks about how by doing this, we reach unity in the faith. It says, and in the knowledge of the Son of God, we become mature. It talks about how we actually grow up and no longer are infants tossed back and forth by every little thing, blown here and there by every wind of teaching or every time someone gets upset. Or It says we actually mature and we grow up. It's in serving that we reach maturity together. It's by being part of the body that we actually grow up in our faith. We're in relationship together. See, if I'm by myself at home, I, I don't really need to grow because it's just me. I mean, I've got to put up with myself, but other than that, like... <laughs> but when I'm in part of the body and I'm in relationship with people, I, I have to grow because I'm going to get annoyed at, some time, at people sometimes and sometimes that'll be them and sometimes that'll just be me needing to grow up, needing to mature. But I don't get that opportunity if I'm not part of the body. I don't get that opportunity if I'm not part... Of the church, and we have the, the 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 broad church, the whole church. But then we also have each church, like they did in the Bible. They had the church in Ephesus. They had the um, church in all these different places. And 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 by being part of a local church, we get to mature and grow up. I remember as a toddler. Well, I don't remember much about being a toddler, but I can remember a few little things. Um, the slightest thing as a toddler, you don't get your own. It's just like. The toys are out of the cot, and you're, you know, it's the, it's, the, it's the tiniest thing as a toddler sets you off. It's just like, I don't get my own way, and it's like, or, or you're with another toddler, and they won't give you the toy, and it's like, whack. <laughs> it is, because that's what toddlers do. Toddlers throw tantrums. I can clearly remember growing up as a child, and, and, and you slowly mature, but I remember being 12 years old, and, and one time we had a, a barbecue, and the way it was set up is that the, uh, the kids had to have the sausages and the adults got the steak. Well, at 12, I thought I deserved steak and I would be an adult. I, was, I hadn't matured enough yet. And so there was all sorts of shenanigans going on from 12-year-old me because I didn't get steak. I don't like sausages. I want steak, you know. It, looking back, it was quite embarrassing, really. <laughs> And I remember coming out later realising some of my older cousins had seen some of this carry-on I had with my mum and she promptly sent me to my room to think about it. And I came back out to eat sausages, not steak. She didn't give in. And, uh, and I was a bit embarrassed and I had to apologise. I'm oh, sorry, guys, I really don't like steak. You know, I had to learn to grow up. I was 12, as a teenager, I got more mature. I wasn't worried about sausages and steak anymore, but I was still growing up a bit. But being a part of a family meant that I had to, and boy, did I still have a temper. Would I tell my mum what I thought about this and that and whatever else? And my mum's like five foot two, but, and I was like already about five foot five or whatever, you know, 13 or 14, and she'd be like, you will not speak like that to me when your father, you know, like she would, you know, and I had this temper because I was still maturing and growing up. But the, the family unit allowed me to do that, and the church allows us to do that. To say, hey, we, we're going to grow up together. We're going to mature together in our spiritual walk and in the way that we treat each other and deal with each other. And, and sometimes there'll be times where you get treated badly and you go, all right, that's all right. I remember when I was a teenager too, you know. 
hypothetically or, or you know, talking spiritually, but when we float around by ourselves, we're easy for the enemy to pick off. But when we are knit and joined together by every supporting ligament, we grow and build ourselves up. A foot by itself doesn't grow, it dies. But when each part of the body is there together, it continues to grow. I remember when I was 18 in church and I, um, I thought I knew a lot. I knew very little. I remember being in a connect group for young adults and so the, the age range was sort of 18 to about early 30s. And I don't even remember what I said, but I remember the experience. I said something highly arrogant, which is not surprising. I remember 18-year-old me who thought he knew everything. And I said something highly arrogant. And uh, one of the guys, I'll never forget it, <clears throat> uh, who was about 30, yeah, he's, oh, late, late 20s he would have been. He's about 10 years older than me. And he, he firmly but gently pulled me up and said, Michael, that, that's, a, that's a pretty arrogant thing to say. You might want to think about how people might feel if they were in this situation or this situation or this situation. And it was great the way he did it. And thankfully, I was not that arrogant that I was willing to cast that off. And I, he sort of gently put me back in my place. And, and I went, oh, yeah, actually, I hadn't thought about that. It was so good for me. It was 18-year-old me desperately needed, because 18-year-old me didn't want to listen to my parents either, but, but desperately needed that maturity of that 30-year-old man who could help me grow, who'd been a Christian for, for a long time. I would go as far as to say you can't grow and mature outside the church. You can grow in knowledge, you can learn more information, but I don't think you can grow in your Christian walk effectively outside of the church. At some point in your church life, someone's going to wrong you. It's going to happen. If it hasn't happened already, it will. It's a given. But how you respond to that determines whether you grow or not and how collectively we respond to that and handle that. Uh, the church can be another analogy. You know, I've got many this afternoon. Church can be a bit like a hospital in the sense that people come in broken and, and, and hurting. But here's the thing about the hospital. When I go to the local hospital, I'm thankful the other patients aren't working on me. It's the doctors and the nurses. but And that's good. But in church life... We're all patients in some way still. We're all a work in progress. God's still, you know, working on all of us and growing us and, you know, giving us this and giving us that to help us grow. And, but then all of a sudden in the church, it's like, oh, hang on. Uh, here's a church, unlimited church. You're helping and you're still a bit of a patient in yourself. I'm still a patient. We're all still patients. And, and sometimes, it, sometimes it gets a bit messy. But that's, that's okay because that's life. But there's the opportunity to extend grace towards each other and go, this is an opportunity for me to grow. Yeah. Uh, I can think back to mistakes I made. I remember when I was 18 again, a lot happened. <laughs> Immaturity for me when I was 18 and we were in a church prayer meeting and I felt I had a word from God because, you know, I was learning all about prophecy and the prophetic. I felt I had a word from God for this, this man in our church who um, would, was old enough to be my father. I didn't have a word from God. I had a thought in my head about what I thought God wanted to tell him, and it wasn't from God. And, and I went up and spoke this to him, and, and you know, God wants you to change some things, you know, da, 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 change some things in your life. And he goes, oh, really, God spoke that to you? And uh, I'm like, yeah. And he's like, I, I don't know that he did, Michael. And because and, he hasn't spoken to me about that, and it's, it's not discounting that, but he was firm with me, but also gentle. And after that, he, he, he sort of gently put me back in my place, but then also it never brought it up again and extended grace toward me. 
in that and allowed me to grow up. And the reason why it was so significant for me is I remember 10 years later preaching in church and God said, I want you to call this guy out and pray for him, this same man. And we had a great relate. It was all good, but I'm like, no. <laughs> and God's like, I'm going to give you a word of knowledge for him and then you're going to pray for him. I'm like, no. <laughs> God's like, I will. I'm like, okay. I'm like, right, like oh, this is as I'm up there, I'm negotiating with God. And I'm like, okay, God, what's the word of knowledge? And he's like, no, call him out and then I'll give it to you. And so I, after much back and forth, I got obedient and I did. But you know, I don't, I don't think that could have happened, one, if I hadn't grown up, but secondly, if he hadn't allowed me to grow up and extended grace towards me. I'm so grateful for that. And, and he came out and I, the word of knowledge that I had, and I often don't remember them, but this one I remember like it was yesterday, was that, and he was a, a, a police senior sergeant, and, and, and I said, there's two people in your workplace right now who are, are, are causing conflict and they're driving you mad. And you're, you're at the point where you just, you just want to grab them and slap them, but God says that you're there, you're God's man for this situation, and you're going to bring peace to this situation. And this is a big, tough police sergeant, and he's just like... God, I'm ready, like use me. Because it, it was just, it was bang on. And I was so scared doing that. But because of the grace he'd allowed me to grow up, God was able to use me and use him. And that's the picture of how the church works. I remember another situation where I didn't speak up. You know, I was much older in this scenario. And there was a guy in the church who was doing a great job in a role. And I, he actually wasn't being treated okay in, in some things. And I had the opportunity to speak up and I didn't. And God brought it back to me a few years later, and I actually called him like years later, not even the church. So I said, "I just want to let you know. I just want to. I just want to repent and apologize for that, because I had the opportunity to speak up on your behalf, and I didn't, out of fear for myself. And I want. And he's like, and in that, and I've done that a few times to different people. I was in church leadership. I was young at different times. I was inexperienced. I, God was just using me, and I was still a work in progress. And some of these people I called, and some of them were like." That's good, I can't even remember that. But for him, when I called him, he was like, thank you so much, that means so much to me because that was a tough thing that, that, that happened in that church scenario with me and it restored something and it can happen. It's, I've been on the receiving, I've made plenty of mistakes, I've been on the receiving and I remember as a 20-year-old youth pastor and, and, and I was just passionate and, and the youth group previously had been a, a bit of a social club and, and, and not, not a whole lot of spiritual you know, content in there. And I'm like, no, every week we're having praise and worship. Every week we're preaching. You know, We'll do social stuff on the school holidays. And we still played games and we still did fun stuff. But I, the, the biggest criticism I copped was from church parents. I copped a flogging over it. It's boring. The kids don't want to do The kids just want to play games. You know, he's just a young guy. He doesn't know what he's doing. And I, I copped all this different criticism. Oh, praise God I had leadership in the church that backed me. Um, and I, and I copped all this different criticism. And then I, I remember um, months later, and it was heartbreaking because these kids stopped coming to youth group because their parents would criticise me as the youth pastor in front of them. And they stopped coming. And some of the kids started backsliding. And, and I took no joy in that. But I, when it happened, I was... Thankfully, I had mature people around me who were like, don't ever be the I told you so guy. Just go in there with love. And, and thankfully, some of those kids were able to come back to Christ. Not all of them did, but, but it was... I, the hurt part of me wanted to go, yeah, told you. Look, you know, what if you'd sent your kids to the youth group, you know, because we were building faith into them and preaching the word of God. And, and, 
That's what I wanted to do, but I had some wise people around me that helped me make sure I didn't react out of my flesh, out of my spirit. A few years ago when I became a single dad, it was suggested to me by a person from a previous church that it all happened because I'd stepped out of the will of God by moving down to Brisbane and taking on my role with compassion and it was that was the reason it all happened. And So people can say hurtful, rubbish things like that. It was rubbish. But I'm like, you know what? Maybe, maybe for them, they're just, they've seen me in a pastoral ministry role. They're trying to equate, how does this happen? And they're trying to come up with their own. And so I was like, I had to just go, you know what? I'm just going to let that go. I'm just, that's going through to the keeper. Not playing a shot. Sorry, cricket analogy for those of you. <laughs> the church can have all this stuff, but it's an opportunity for us to grow and to mature together. If you've been hurt in church previously, can I encourage you to forgive can I encourage you to let it go? Can I encourage you to don't, don't let that consume your life anymore? Let it go and, and, and forgive and, and move past it. If, if no one's ever said sorry to you, let me say to you right now, I'm, I'm sorry you got hurt in the church. I wish it didn't happen, but it does. And it might even happen again. And I don't want it to. But today, can you just go, you know what? I'm just going to let it go. Maybe you've, you've made some mistakes. And, and as I was talking about my mistakes, and I could have kept going all day, but I'm going to run out of time. Um, you think, oh, I... If God's put something on your heart, don't go fishing for it and looking for it. But if there's something there that goes, just just apologize to that person and then let it go. So there can be restoration. We mature when we're part of the church. Can I encourage you? Go on that path of maturity. Number four, we are all equal and valuable parts of the body. 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 12 says, The body is a unit, though it is made up of many parts, and though all the parts, uh, sorry, through... And though all its parts are many, they form one body. So it is with Christ. Verse 14, it says, Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but many. Now, if the foot should say, to, say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? I'm glad the whole body's not like me. It wouldn't be a good body. I'm glad it's not all like in you individually either. It wouldn't be a good body. We're all different. We're all different parts. If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts of the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I do not need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the, and the parts that we think are less honourable, we treat with special honour. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has put the body, body together, giving greater honour to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honoured, every part rejoices with it. I'm glad we're not all alike. Because if we were all like me, we'd be stuffed. <laughs> Don't get me wrong, I value, I know this gift of God on my life and I value it, but I know what it's not. There's plenty of things that's not good. Attention to detail is not one of my strengths. I'm glad we have people here. I'm glad De Denise has amazing attention to detail. I'm so grateful for that. I'm grateful. If you saw my garage, you'd be really glad that I'm, I'm happy to carry stuff to the truck, but don't make me pack the truck because you'd see my garage and stuff would be broken. I'm glad we've got people 
who are good at that sort of thing. You don't want me mixing the sound. I could probably learn the technical side of things, but I don't have the ear of an Andrew Jefferson. Or I certainly, if things were broken, I couldn't fix it like Steve Pearce or Dave Headley. I, I, we'd, we'd be stuffed. <laughs> I could do a good job lecturing Old and New Testament at ULA. I could do a reasonable job, but I can't do the job Brad Austin can do. He, he's phenomenal at that. That's why I lecture pastoral care, because he's way better. And also, because it's what Pastor James told me I was lecturing. But it, it's... <laughs> We each have our giftings and our, 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 our I, I don't, I, I'm all right in the kitchen. I can cook a little bit. I can cook some nice meals. Um, I can bake a little bit, but it's, it's not going to look. It might taste okay, but it's not going to look like the baking that we have there. Right? It would be on a plate and would glad wrap pull back, you know, if it was me. Like, because that's not my, I don't have that gift of hospitality like, like so many in our, our team do. I can do administration and get by, but I can't pull it off like Paula Snow can. I know how to use Photoshop, but you're glad that Mikel Jefferson's doing the graphics and not me, because it's, it's, it's so much better. I can sing in tune if others get me started, but you don't want me being the one that starts it, because it might be in totally the wrong key. I'm so glad we have worship leaders like the Lizzers and, and Matt and Amy and <coughs> others. And, I'm so glad that we've got great musicians here because if it was just me, it'd be like five guys up here with the recorder playing, you know, hot cross buns and that would be the extent. Like, I'm so glad we're all different. I have a leadership gift on my life, but it's different from the leadership gift that Pastor James has on his life. He has a, an apostolic breakthrough anointing, um, um, smash down walls leadership gift on his life. It's different to the one, I don't need to try and lead like him. You don't need to try and lead worship like Liz Logan, or you don't need to try and do this or do that. You, God has placed incredible gifts in you. When I was a youth pastor, uh, the greatest part of being a youth pastor was uh, the thing I loved the most was developing a team, developing this whole team that came together. Um, you know, I, I was not cool as a teenager and it didn't change in my 20s. So I had other guys on my leadership team who were cool. They did the cool stuff. They got up and did the game and everyone thought they were amazing. My younger brother, Shane, was one of them. His mate, Morgan, was one of them. Honestly, every girl at some stage in the youth group had a crush on those, those guys. They were cool. They did all the cool stuff because I wasn't good at any of that. But I did what I was good at, which was building a team and pulling them together. And an amazingly gifted team. And I remember we got to the end of this big outreach campaign we did. It was four weeks of school outreach and, and we had guys doing skate tricks in schools and we had bands over these four weeks and it culminated in this big night at the end and we've seen a whole bunch of teenagers come to Christ over the course of the four weeks. And at the end of it, and, and by the time we got into the schools, the team was that good that I sort of just, I'm like, what do I do, guys? Like, they had it all sorted. They even had a, a moose costume running around in the schools and they named this guy mascot for the, the whole thing, Bruce the Moose, they called him. And, and Bruce got tackled. I was so glad I was never in the... But they pulled it all together and because they were released to serve in their giftings. And it all came together. And remember we had the final night and we had about 140 teenagers. It was, it was amazing. And we had a guy doing, he was jumping like 10 kids in the car park. Probably wouldn't pass like, you know, OH&S now, but this was like 2005. It was so good. And, um, and anyway, uh, the, the guest speaker we had on the night um, made a comment to me that I took as a compliment, but, and, and he meant it as a compliment, but it, it could have sounded like an insult. And he looks at me and goes, Keith, this is incredible. 
He's like, if you can do this, anyone can. And, 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 he, and, then he, and then he stopped and he's like, no, I don't mean it like that. I just, he was basically saying, you're not the youth pastor that's cool or hip or got all the profile and cool and hip are probably not the right words either, which is totally evident of who I am. Um, <laughs> but it was a compliment because it meant there was a whole team operating in their gift. And I'm like, you're right. Anyone actually can if they have the right team that pulls it together. That's what the church looks like. That's why we have such a great church. Pastor James and Paula are our leaders and they are fantastic. And we wouldn't be on this trajectory we're on as a church if it wasn't for them. Their leadership is invaluable. But we also wouldn't be on this trajectory if it wasn't for you. Because you have such a vital role to play in it. And some of you who might be on the fringes right now, you know, the, the future that God has for our church, we won't get, you're a vital part in that. We won't get there without you either. We're all equal and we all have an amazing part to play. Can I encourage you, if you've been sitting on the sideline or the fringe a bit, get in the game. It's, it's the best fun. Honestly, it is. You'll be tired sometimes and, and sometimes you'll do a whole lot of hard work. It'd be pretty hard to not get a thank you in this church with the way the teams are, but you might. It might happen. If it does, that's okay because we're part of a team that are pulling together. My last point is the church is united by our mission. Jesus' final instructions are for the church and he tells us in Mark chapter 16, he says, "'Go into all the world and preach the good news to all creation.'" Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved and whoever does not believe will be condemned. And in Matthew 28, 18, he says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. Our mission is to go and preach the gospel and make disciples. And it's our mission that unites us. If, we're, if there's bickering things going on in churches, it's usually because we've taken our eyes off the mission and, and we're navel gazing and looking at ourselves. The analogy I like to use is that we are a fishing vessel, not a cruise ship. A cruise ship expects everyone to serve them. A cruise ship is all about pleasure and enjoyment and indulgence. Oh, go for a cruise. Cruises are great. Like I'm all for in, go for a holiday, enjoy a cruise. But as the analogy, it's, it's about a handful of people doing the work for everyone else to enjoy the ride. If something isn't person, perfect, you put a request in and someone comes and fixes it. The church is not a cruise ship. The church is a fishing vessel and the goal is to catch fish. And we're united by that mission and it's all hands on deck to make it happen. That doesn't, now, now you, you think cruise ship and you think excellence and you think fishing vessel and you, you think, uh, don't, don't distinguish. I'm not saying there's not excellence. There is. You can, there's some excellent fishing vessels out there um, and some excellent fishermen. I'm not one of them, but in, on a fishing vessel, it's all hands on deck to make it happen. There's, there's really no passengers or stowaways on the fishing vessel. It's, it's, it's you, we catch you and Jesus says make fishers of men so once you're on the boat you're not a fish anymore you're a person and <laughs> go with the analogy all right and you're part of the crew here's a brush scrub the deck or he, you know go, here's the edge of the net let's go throw another net in because in fact if you've just come to Christ you're one of the best people to be throwing the net back in because you know all the other people that don't know Jesus the fishing vessel can be uncomfortable at times the work can be smelly and messy if something's broken though, you just get in and fix it. But at the end, the reward of the catch is amazing. 
being on a fishing vessel and they pull in that big, look at this catch. And for us, it's like, because the catch is, is people coming to know Jesus, coming to know who He is. That's the mission that unites us. And when we're focused on, on, on that, which we are as a church, the other stuff doesn't matter that much anymore because we're in it together. Come on, pull the net, it's full, let's get it up. Or it's like, all right, let's, let's get over here where there's, where there's fish are biting and let's throw the net in there and let's try it. Sometimes people, thank you, wonderful, you're all over it. Sometimes we can treat the church like a cruise ship to meet our needs in a fishing vessel that we're part of the team. Finishing, I want to go back in Ephesians 4 verse 7, it says, but to each one of us grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. Each one of us has been given a gift. Has been, gifts are like little deposits of His grace. And when it all comes together in the body, it says in verse 16, from Him the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does the work. Yeah, I don't know if you see toddlers and they're trying to walk and they're sort of stumbling around. And sometimes we can look like that as a church and we trip over the eggs of the rug and we, you know, we, we, look, we look like we don't have our coordination together because we're when we're all, and sometimes that's because like the toddler's having a hard time telling the whole part of the body what to do because you know they're still learning. And, and when we grow, I, I picture the church, the body, and operation together like a graceful marathon runner. You know, they don't, they don't even look like they're running. I never look like. I wish I looked like that running. I don't look like that. It's just like they, it's not they're not even running, they're just gliding. And I just get the picture of the church when we've all come together and doing our part that we just, we just glide like that Kenyan or Ethiopian runner that's doing the marathon. That just, it just looks easy. It's not, it's hard. But there's a grace on it. And I believe there's a grace on us when we all come together where it just looks like that. Thanks for listening. We hope you've enjoyed this message. We pray that you and your family are richly blessed in the love and grace of Jesus. If you're ever in the area, we'd love to have you join us for Sunday worship.